Hi, everyone. Welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today, we're going to talk about Aspergillus orisaesan. Yeah, fermentation, man. Fermentation, crazy subject, no? Yeah, what's the deal with fermentations? Yeah, what is the deal with fermentation? You know, like like a couple of months ago on Instagram, I saw somebody like comment. I don't remember where it was, but like under a food picture, sort of like, oh, why does everything have to be fermented? Fermentation is the most overrated thing in cooking. And I was like, well, that's that's just a really stupid thing to say. You know? Exactly. <laughs> that's just a really dumb thing to say. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's just it's just very uneducated because like fermentation is not just making like a soy sauce out of distilled habanero peppers, you know. It's in in so many things, you know. So many things we take for granted, like olives, wine, bread, chocolate, coffee, you know, like so many things. Yeah, cultured butter, you know. And I remember like I don't often comment on the Instagram posts, you know, or like I, I never start sort of like keyboard warrior sort of moments. But I was just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's just very uneducated. And he was like, oh, well, you know, like I was like, well, you eat bread, you know, and he's like, whoa, whoa. but yeah. But, you know, that being said, I also get his point. Fermentation has been, I feel like a lot of people hide behind fermentation. They're sort of like, oh, I'm going to lack the ferment this and put it, I'm going to lack the ferment these blueberries. And then, it, you know, they put it on a plate and taste disgusting. You know, it's just like with everything else, it's a skill that you have to get right. Uh, but it's a whole universe you know like fermentation is crazy crazy subject absolutely i mean it's like the universe of microbiology so so it's as broad uh, as it gets yeah i mean things i like to do like at home i like to do my own kimchi but i mean i don't get crazy about it i i, I buy bottled kimchi base and just mix it with napa cabbage and i make my own like that that style of kimchi and it's pretty cool another thing that i that I do is like fermenting my own cream like sour cream are you really do yeah like with that's really nice like with kefir and just leaving it outside like for two days like in a in a glass and then you have like this fermented cream it's really uh, nice oh sorry i di- i didn't realize i was talking to david silbert you know yeah. <laughs> That's that's really cool, man. I haven't I've never tried that. that. That's awesome. One thing that I learned is to like to ferment anything. You just need to use two percent of salt, of of the weight of whatever you're doing. You can use more, but that's like a sweet spot in the level of saltiness and also the level of, of activity of, of the bacteria that fermentates the the food you're fermenting, and. For whatever, to do sauerkraut or just uh, cucumber, pickles or whatever, that's that's uh, the amount of salt I, I usually use. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I usually, I always learned it was like between 2% and 2.5. I usually go for 2.3% for a lot of things just because I found that 2.5, sometimes it gets a little bit too salty and I 2.3 kind of works well for me. But I also, I use it for quite a lot of stuff. I mean, like if I make sauerkraut, you know, Shukrut, you know, you can basically make out of almost anything. It doesn't have to be white cabbage, you know, like we used to collect, you know, like broccoli leaves and stuff like that. And just sort of like cabbage off cuts and then just like shred them all together, like Brussels sprouts off cuts, and then just make like a mixed cabbage sauerkraut. And it's so easy because you just shred the stuff, you weigh it, you weigh out 2.3% of that weight. You add it, you crunch it, you press it, you let it ferment. It's just important that 
it doesn't get into contact with oxygen too much. That's why you usually press it down and let the liquid of the product rise up so it's submerged. And like that, you can do anything. You know, like right now at the restaurant, we're doing this very simple tomato salad. But out of, from all the offcuts of the tomatoes, I take those and I do the same thing. I kind of like chop them. I add just a tiny bit of garlic, tiny bit of like spring onion and like aromatics, like a little bit of coriander. And then I add 2.3% salt, just mix it and keep it at room temperature for like a day. At the moment, it's a day because it's very warm. And it just starts to lightly ferment really, really quickly because of the onion and the the sugar and the tomatoes and stuff. And it just becomes like a little bit sour and salty and kind of fresh and very umami-ish. And then I hang that and I've got a fermented tomato water that I make a, a dressing with, you know, a vinaigrette. And it's super, super tasty. And it's just like a super simple way of using fermentation to kind of superpower flavor, you know? I encourage you to try well what I told you. I don't know it's just if it's food safe to do it in a restaurant, but like... Well, don't worry. We do a lot of things that aren't food safe. <laughs> you just take, uh, I mean, cream and 20% of its weight uh, with kefir or yogurt of any kind. And I leave it two days outside of the fridge. And then you, you have like this whole fermented cream. It's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely give that a try because we get really nice raw milk uh, at the restaurant. And it, it can even, you know, like separate. So you are, you have like this, what's the name of that? Whey? Like the, yeah, this water, this liquid that, that and, and also this like fermented butter. So if you, if you, if you're using cream, yeah, super nice. And that with, with some kind of chili, man, it's the best thing in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, like this fermented dairy, making like like a, a hot sauce out of it, man. Like with, so I've like with potatoes or arepas or this kind of things. It's just the best thing in the world. It sounds crazy. It sounds really good. So we haven't spoken about Mr. Koji. Mr. Koji, yeah, the the guy who, the famous blacksmith that lives in the mountains. <laughs> What is Koji? It's a malt, right? I mean, Koji is... You use a mold to make koji. I mean, koji is basically a, a starter culture, I think you could say. I have to be a little bit careful what, what I say so that the fermentation freaks don't rip my head off, you know. But like, I would say that koji is a starter culture that you make. And traditionally, it's made out of rice and a, a fungus spore that's called Aspergillus orizae. That's basically just a mushroom. And this mushroom... It needs something to feed on, and that's why you take rice, you steam it, you inoculate the rice with the mushroom. The mushroom starts munching away at this rice, nom, 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 just like near the Chinese buffet. And then kind of like the, the rice gets covered in this like white fluff if everything goes right. It's the fungus kind of taking over. And then... Yeah, which looks like... Actually, if you if somebody don't, doesn't know what, what's going on, it looks disgusting because it's like this white velvet that you will find uh, and forgotten oranges in your fridge growing uh, in your rice. And you, then you have like this white carpet <laughs> in your rice of, of white velvet. And it's like, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what we need. The, that's basically what Koji is. Yeah, totally. But that, that's actually an interesting point because it's kind of like 
it is it just really depends on your viewpoint, you know, of kind of like what what things are and what their purpose is, you know. Because Koji, if you know what it is and you know what it can do and you don't see it as a bad thing, like I think it looks really beautiful, you know, this like white, fluffy rice. It, like if it's made right, it looks really amazing. Also because I know that it's quite difficult to make Koji rice. I've made it and then you have rice that's kind of like black and yellow and white and and you're like, oh my God, what is this? It's like you're growing a fucking monstrosity in your in your family. yeah yeah no and, and and it's fucking dangerous because you can get whatever kind of of crazy fungus mixed with the whatever you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's really to be taken serious. Like food safety is be, to be taken very very seriously. But yeah, you know, if it's done right, it's very beautiful, and it just depends like how you look at it, you know. So, but we haven't explained what it is. So goji goji is one of the key ingredients of. I would say uh, of the Japanese flavor profile, that far I would go uh, because it's it's the base of soy sauce, miso, sake, and mirin, which are all staple ingredients in Japanese cuisine. Absolutely. And, and koji is the ingredient, this, what we just mentioned, this white velvet that grows around rice, this fungus, is the one that gave them key aromas like this, I would say citrus aromas that we find or fruity aromas that we find in Japanese soy sauce as opposed to other soy sauce that, that are not as pronounced are because of koji, this, this flavor profiles. And, and also the flavors you, you find in sake are also directly related to, to this fungus. So it's kind of like, uh, it's not, yeah, it's not directly a yeast, but it is use kind of like a yeast in order to ferment other things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's like, again, it's like a whole universe, you know, like the flavor that you get from fermenting with Koji is, it's very hard to describe and it's very, very varied, you know, it's very deep. I mean, I've had things that are very like, uh, like soy sauce, you know, if you've ever had, you know, a soy sauce that's of very high quality, you know, and that being said, there's many different types of soy sauce, you know, there's very light ones, very nutty ones, very sweet ones, very dark ones, very bitter ones, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> But, um, you know, there's, um, there's actually a Japanese gentleman here in Berlin who ferments local ingredients in a traditional Japanese way. And he makes amazing stuff. It's called Mimi Ferments. And he makes a buckwheat tamari, which is like, just like, if you think of tamari, you think it's like very dark brown often, but this isn't like that. It's like very sort of chestnut colored, light brown. And it's just super flavorful. You know, you could like, you could zip it from a glass. It's, it's just so delicate and rich in umami. I mean, umami is really what we're talking about with these sorts of like ferments, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so, but at the same time, it's so delicate, you know, and it's, um, and then the same thing with sake, you know, like the depth that sake can get with like the different yeast cultures and, you know, the, the flavor of the rice, etc. with then the alcohol added to it, you know, I mean, not added as in, you know, externally added, but through the process, it's crazy, you know, it's a, it's a whole science, but for us as chefs, you know, it's, um, it, it has broadened our tool cabinet immensely, you know, I mean, at the restaurant where I work, you know, we use Koji to ferment a lot of things, especially from a sustainability point of view. We 
take leftover bread and we make a bread koji water, which also tastes like soy sauce. You know, we've made really crazy stuff. Like we've taken cooked meat leftover on bones that we used for stocks and we pick off this meat and collect it and we ferment it. And that's actually one of the things that surprised me the most because what came out, this like rest leftover meat koji water, it tastes amazing. Like it tastes like super high quality soy sauce, the sort of soy sauce that I've only seen in Japan and it's like really hard to find like to buy outside of the country. And it's like, when you have something like that to work with, you know, it's like, it it opens up a whole new world for you. Have you seen the Koji Onigiri that Noma was doing in Japan? Koji Onigiri? Yeah. What is it? <clears throat> so, you know, you know, an Onigiri, no? These like triangular rice cakes, right? Yeah. Basically just rice that's like slightly seasoned with salt. Usually sometimes it's filled also. They pack it into like this triangular shape and they like wrap a piece of nori around it, right? Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like round and a little bit wavy, you know? And so <clears throat> what Noma did is they made a sweet onigiri, but the outside is all koji. It's just the white koji fluff. Okay. It looks super beautiful. It looks like an onigiri that's completely covered in koji, but the way they were making it is super crazy. Um, I, I got some inside information on this. What they did was they had like a triangular mold and brushed like a koji paste onto it and let those molds ferment so that they would have the koji structure on the outside of the molds. And then carefully with a spatula, like take the molds off. So you only have this like triangular sort of like mushroom structure and then they would fill it and then wrap like a leaf around it and give it to you. So you would bite into it and you would just have the cover of the koji and then inside the filling. And what was the filling? I'm not sure. It was something sweet. I think it was like ice cream or something like that. Okay, that sounds insane. Super crazy, no? Yeah. And I mean, like, it's also, you have this like really fluffy kind of nice texture on the outside, kind of like a camembert, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of this uh, rotten, what was it? Rotten apple from Ugaritz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the penicillus apple. Was it apple or pear? It was apple that was inoculated with um, the, the blue cheese spore. Exactly. Have yeah. you tried it? No. I it's really nice. Is it? Yeah. I mean, if you like blue cheese, you will like it. Yeah. yeah. And if you like apple, maybe also you like it. Yeah. <laughs> you, if you don't like blue cheese and like apple, that won't work. <laughs> what, what, what did it taste like? How was it? Like, like it tastes like blue cheese like that. that like, yeah. Or like camembert. Exactly, because I've, I've tried different uh, versions of it. But yeah, wh whatever um, starter you're using. Uh. And you can buy these starters online, like camembert or Roquefort, whatever. You, you just add it to milk and you have like a, like a sauce with that taste. Ah, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Have you ever tried to make like... Um Like, uh, have you ever tried to use a soda bug or like sort of uh, self-carbonated beverages? Like making homemade ginger ale or these kind of things. Exactly. Yeah. So you get the carbonization in a bottle by itself, you know? Well, for a while, I, I experimented a lot with kombucha. So I did many things with kombucha. I tried kombucha even with dairies or everything you can imagine. How did that work with dairy? Um, you get like a, like a strange yogurt thing. Good strange or yeah yeah I mean like I would prefer some other types of yogurt I mean it, it was okay 
but I don't know if that has any kind of consequences because I was just doing this myself, you know, without any kind of microbiology supervision. Yeah. But yeah, I did like uh, a ginger ale, which was pretty fucking good. I remember it was only ginger without peeling it, with skin and everything, and macerated and, and brown sugar, like the browner, the better, like this Moscavado types of sugars. Yeah. And and I did a kombucha with that with that ginger water. That was pretty good. Cool. That sounds really nice. Yeah. It's uh it's super cool, no? It's like um when you get it right and when you sort of like bottle something up and it just like starts carbonating by itself, like I think it's such a rewarding experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was experimenting with that a lot um when I was in Mexico because I was really determined to make a non-alcoholic beverage pairing for the menu that we had. And so I was getting all these fruits and, you know, like, um, different things and, um, uh, wanted to make all sorts of different stuff. I was trying to make was and I was making kombucha and just like normal sodas, you know, and some of them worked super well. We were fermenting beer also, like we we're making our own beer, uh, loads of different things. We we're making, um, tepache. Tepache worked really, really well. Tepache is also something that's just like a fermented beverage that's very common in Mexico where you take pineapple with the skin on because the skin is off where all the yeast bacteria are oh yeah and you just put it in water with like sugar and like other things you know and it starts fermenting and becoming kind of sort of like sweet sour but then what i did is like i took the tepache and i bottled it because i wanted to make it carbonate right and so how that works for people who who don't really know is that if the bacteria still have enough sugar to feed on after you put it in a closed environment the carbon dioxide that they produce can't escape. And if there's the right, if it's the right amount for the right space left in the bottle, it'll kind of like get absorbed back into the liquid and you have like a sparkling liquid. As you can maybe imagine, that can also be a little bit dangerous, you know, because if the pressure, it obviously builds up pressure. And if the pressure is too high, the, your bottle might warp or explode. Which is what happened to me. Like I remember I was I was experimenting with all these different bottles and some worked super well. Like the tepache was absolutely delicious. I was so proud of myself. Like, you know, when you have this bottle and you open it up and it's like and you pour it in, it's like sparkling, you drink it, it tastes like fermented pineapple and like sugar and that, and you're like, Oh my god, this is so refreshing, it's so delicious. And then I got kind of carried away. And uh, I remember we were closed Sunday, Monday. And on Saturday, I was checking the bottles. And I was like, ah, oh, they're not quite ready yet. And so I left them in the Mexican summer heat. And <laughs> um, Sunday went past, like Sunday went by. And I was like, man, it's really fucking hot. And then Monday started and I was like, okay, no, I can't wait until tomorrow. I have to go check on the bottles. So I went, I locked up the restaurant and I walked in and you could see the kitchen from like coming in from the dining room. And I could see from like far away that the kitchen was just an absolute mess. And when I got there, I realized that almost all the bottles had exploded and there was glass shards stuck in the walls and in the ceiling, like a fucking shrapnel grenade went off, you know? And it just scared me shitless because I was like, fuck, if this, this could have gone off like in the middle of service and then we'd all be dead or maimed or crippled you <laughs> and everybody's dinner would be ruined. Um, and that kind of made me stop, stop a while. So, so yeah, but the, the ones that turned out, well, they were really delicious, but you have to, you really have to be careful of fermentation. It can, can be pretty dangerous sometimes. 
Yeah, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So that the, there are a lot of procedures uh, that, yeah, that are kind of safe. But I mean, you're, you're always scared because you, you're playing around with unpasteurized food, you know, like you don't know if, I mean, if you don't have a feeling with it or if you're learning by yourself, it can be kind of like scary, you know, like not knowing what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Just like, just like foraging, you know, it's like, if you don't know what you're eating, like don't eat it. You know, there's like, <laughs> there was so many instances where it's like, if you, if you're fermenting something, you're not sure what you're doing. Like it's, it can be really dangerous. You know, if there's a mushroom on it, like I remember one guy that I, I'm not going to mention his name, but like w one guy I knew from the Nordic food lab, he was kind of like, well, if it's, if it's white mold, it's okay. But if it's like black or green or yellow, like maybe don't eat it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But um, it can be super dangerous, you know, just like foraging is kind of like, I, there's so many times where you pick something up and you think you know what it is and you eat it. And it's just like, even just like the bite of a leaf. Like I remember I bit into something that I thought was sorrel once in Spain when I was foraging and my whole mouth went numb, completely numb. I couldn't, I couldn't move my tongue. And it felt like there was like 15 needles poking in my mouth for like two hours. I couldn't talk, you know, which was probably good for everybody around me. But I am, but for me, it wasn't, you know, but yeah. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.